been informed it's about 10.30ish. Oh, hi. Welcome to Dupere. Um, and I've never paid super close attention to how Alex does it, but I'd love to let y'all know that the things that have been paused this week are back on schedule. So, small groups on Tuesday and Wednesdays, um, and shower Friday as well, for anyone who are volunteering. As well, there are two more things that I need to remember to announce. One of which is escaping me, but the other one is that we have the Southern Baptist Convention coming. Um, and if y'all are interested in volunteering, there are supposed to be many thousands of people. Um, but if you need a card, it's got a QR code, you can sign up to volunteer on that. The other thing, as far as announcements go, Alex, can you remind me? <laughs> it's escaping me too. Uh, okay. <laughs> yep. Alright, well, if it comes to us, it'll get brought on to people's attention <laughs> we later. We really on. need to start writing something. That's oh, these cards. But yes, the prayer cards on the seats. If you have contact information or want to update that, or if you have a prayer request, when the fast comes around, feel free to put those in there. We'll be praying for them. All of that flowing through as quickly as it came to my head. But let's join together in prayer um, as the Lord taught Our Father, the Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I keep you the mind, the will of God, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you resist the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Must be curbed with bit and brittle. 
else it will not stay made. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you upright in heart. Good morning, church. Good morning. We're reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he sat for 40 days and 40 nights without the bread of flesh. The tempter came and said to him, You are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he asked, It is written, Let it come down by bread alone. Not every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, praying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. God of wilderness and water, your son was baptized and tempted as we are. Guide us through this season, that we may not avoid struggle, but open ourselves to blessing, through the cleansing depths of repentance, and the heaven of many words your spirit. Amen.
Oh. 
Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. <clears throat> Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Leave the bride, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. <coughs> And I, I no more will make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner from far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and the foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, thank you, Lewis. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. Father God, praise I always do. Lord, just that no matter what comes out of my mouth this morning, God, that what you would minister to people's hearts and minds, Lord, would be your truth. Because we know your truth will set us free. And we desperately long to be free. I pray this in Jesus' name. So we know you hear us. Amen. Joel is a book written probably after the exile, that terrible chapter in Israel's history, written after things had gotten a little better, inviting people to remember the hard times. The people of God throughout their lives would use the book of Joel as a means of mourning together <coughs> in remembrance of what was lost. It's important to begin in our understanding of fasting with an understanding of mourning, and mourning on a broad scale. Mourning is where fasting begins. A few years ago, in the midst of our own national crisis, my son's pet frog died. And he really mourned the loss. He was deeply upset. Y'all may remember this. It was really his first experience with death, which is how I found myself in the midst of so many funerals that I and other pastors had performed that year, performing a funeral for a frog named Tony. As we were talking about his wishes for the funeral and what he thought that Toady might want. We decorated a box, packed a special, picked a special spot in the yard. I'm trying desperately to not laugh during this process uh, and betray how cute I think this is, but we're planning out an order of service with songs in it. And he looks at me and he says, Daddy, will you say something at the funeral? You're the one who says the words. And that statement from a five-year-old changed the way I thought of the task of we need words when we're hurting, and they need to be the right words. If you give a trite platitude to a person in mourning, even mourning over a frog, more often than not, the words do damage, or they get thrown back at you. You need the words, and you need something to do with your hurt. And I'm so grateful our God gives us both. I'm so grateful our faith doesn't ask us to gloss over the sad things in life and focus on the next. But instead, our God left heaven and lived on earth so he could enter into our pain and our loss. In Joel, God gives us the words that we need, and he gives us the practices, which is why Israel will return to it again and again as a remembrance. The book of Joel is a gift to the person who is hurting, and fasting is a gift to anyone who's experienced loss, anyone who's longing to hear from God and come close to him. I said already, fasting is a way of acting out the idea that God is enough, but fasting begins in mourning loss. It's a way of admitting to people around you that you are not okay, and that you can't just keep going as usual. In the ancient Near East, where Joel's writing, typically this is how you would do a fast. You would cover the ground with ashes, you would tear your clothes, you would put on sackcloth and sit on the ground in the ashes. Ashes in that culture represent ruin and loss. Like the burning of a home, ashes means there's nothing left of something you once loved. If nothing was actually burned, spreading ashes on the ground was a way of outwardly expressing an inner 
boss. It was an invitation for people who loved you to come sit beside you in your boss. My wife and I are foster parents, which means we deal with a lot of loss and even trauma in the lives of our children. One of the things you do to address that loss and trauma is, is called a nurture group, which is a way of giving nurture and a space for kids to express hurt. This is how it works. You sit down, you feed each other food, which I know is kind of weird, but it's scientifically back, so I'll believe them. Um, and then you ask your kids, you say, do you have any hurts? And usually they say yes. Because the reason they say yes is they really want the band-aid. I don't know if you've ever been around kids of any stripe, they all love band-aids. They will do just about anything for band-aid. So they tell you, yes, I am hurt. And then you ask them, is the hurt on the outside or is it on the inside? If it's on the outside, the bandage goes over the wound, but more often than not, they just ask me to place it over their chest, over their heart, as a way of showing a hurt that may otherwise go unknown. Sitting in ashes is like that. Just admitting to people close to you, I'm hurt. Helping them see it, and otherwise they might miss it. Tearing your clothes, our passage uses the word rending, meaning tearing. Then and now represented extreme anguish and grief. Think Stanley Kowalski. You feel torn apart, so you're tearing your clothes in the same way. Sackcloth represents uncaring, being focused on something else to the point of neglecting all the rest. Because sackcloth was the material at the time that was cheap, it was available, it was overused, it was thrown out. It's like the other day I saw a young woman at the store in sweatpants and a large t-shirt buying a pint of ice cream. Her hair was a mess. That is the language in our culture of something consuming your minds and emotions and us needing someone to sit with us. So there's a kind of fasting we do just naturally when we're grieving. And so understanding fasting begins with understanding that kind of grief and loss. Our passage, though, speaks to a fast that is something a little different. And Lent is something different from grief fast as well. And the differences can help us understand the purpose of, let's call what we're entering into in the season of Lent, a ritualized fast. And how ritualized fasting became a part of our regular Christian practice. In verse 13, Joel writes this. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Leave your clothes alone. Don't wear sackcloth. Don't sit in ashes because you're not actually mourning. That would just be a lie. Instead, he says, break your hearts. Jesus says something similar in his Sermon on the Mount. He tells people when they're fasting not to go around in sweats eating ice cream. He tells them, take a shower, wash your hands, and fast in secret. Joel's invitation to rend our hearts is instead of a response to mourning, an invitation into mourning. Why? Why would we do that? Why would we break our hearts? Why remember times of grief? And of course, Lent goes even further than remembering times of grief like this book of Joel does. Lent invites us to contemplate future grief, to contemplate our own deaths as well. Repeating God's words to Adam in the garden where death first entered the world, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I went to an Ash Wednesday service at another church last week. Uh, we didn't do one this year at our church, just to care for our ministers and staff after Mardi Gras. Uh, there's a reason uh, three quarters of our staff is on vacation. It's because we're all exhausted. And I heard that they were going on vacation. I thought to myself, man, that would have been smart for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we went to an Ash Wednesday service. At the service I intended, there, there were a good number of people, several hundred people in the room. And when they were invited, when they invited us up to impose ashes, we were towards the back of the room. And to be honest with you, this year and last year, I started crying in the midst of the ritual. As each person turned around and marked for death that way, as my own children approached, I had the baby in my arms, marked with ashes. If a bomb goes off in a room like that, and every man, woman, and child perishes at once, it would be counted one of the world's greatest one of the world's great tragedies, and the world would be shocked and they would mourn. But the imposition of ashes reminds us that in our sin, we're in the midst of a tragedy far more horrible than that. Even that, 
uh, it just lies in the very fact of frequency, you quote Eliot. Every last person in that room will die. In our sin, we brought death into not just the room, but into the world. In that room and every other one. One person dying is a tragedy. But the human race dying is unthinkable, and so we don't think about it. But we ought to. When we contemplate our own deaths, when we rend our hearts instead of our garments, when we learn to grieve the tragedies lying in the very fact of frequency, we'll learn to praise God for the fact that he is able to change and undo what none of us could even avoid. He was actually able to overthrow death, which so completely and crushingly rules over us. Just like in our own lives, so in the world, you have to understand the depth of depravity darkness in order to begin to grasp the height of God's love and his grace and his power and his salvation. You have to understand how desperate our situation actually is to understand the staggering weight of his salvation. So we rend our hearts as Christians, or at least we should. We remember the darkness of our lives even while striving further in and further up into his marvelous light. We do it by fasting, mostly. Going without food or drink, or red meat, or caffeine, whatever's necessary to remind ourselves that we are completely and utterly dependent upon Christ and nothing else. And that he, even if it's Christ alone with nothing else, he is sufficient. He is what we really need. And he's not a meager meal. He's a feast. The more we depend upon him alone, the more filling and sufficient Christ becomes. Practically speaking, I would encourage you to plan a fast this week if you normally don't. Homework! You didn't know you would receive that today. But when you fast in obedience to Jesus' words, I would encourage you not to be showy about it. Don't post about it on your social media. Don't talk about it constantly, except if you think somebody might be able to help you. Or thinks that somebody might be able to benefit from the practice. This is a private and very personal practice, an introspective discipline. Also, practically speaking, I would encourage you to engage with the ritual of fasting in obedience to our passage. Meaning, mainly, don't be silly about it. Begin with remembering grief and loss. In other words, rend your heart. Remember grief and allow it to lead you into joy at what, his God, what God has done in your life. I hope that makes sense. I don't have time this morning to teach about the power of ritual, but... What I mean practically is just to tie your fast into the history of the practice and use it as a chance to mourn with those who mourn. I know intermittent fasting is big right now as a weight loss tool, and I have nothing against that practice. That's just not the kind of fast that I mean. Another example would be a girl I knew <coughs> growing up uh, who would fast from coffee each year and just drink a lot of Coke instead during Lent. Uh, that's also kind of missing the point. <laughs> I hope you see what I mean. Think about the things that you do every day. The things you really come to depend upon. Eating is one of them, which caveat, some people have a variety of issues with eating and blood sugar, and I don't want to encourage anything unhealthy. But for me, fasting from food is good and healthy and reminds me of my dependence upon God and God alone. Since I've been pastoring, I've been fasting inter intermittently from my phone, which now rings pretty much constantly. I find that particular fast very helpful, and I would suggest it. There are several companies which make their money on drawing your attention and your time onto a screen, and they've gotten very good at it. Usually on sat Saturday, which is usually my, my day off, if I'm home with my family, I'll just leave my phone in the other room. It's the great frustration of several of you, I'm sure. <laughs> I started a fast in the pandemic from social media, which honestly in my life might become permanent because the effects in my life have been so healthy. I've been far less anxious. I care less about people's opinions of me in a good way. I have better and more frequent conversations with friends because I actually don't know what's happening in their lives and so catching up is interesting again. Last year I was on a sequestered jury. Y'all may remember this. Part of the sequestration was that they confiscated our phones for about a week. Uh, we had only intermittent access to them. So for several folks, the, the initial anxiety with that was extreme. One lady was removed from the jury because in the brief period that she got her phone back, she posted so much on social media about the past couple days that they had to remove her. 
Another guy said he felt like he had lost a part of himself with the loss of his phone. At one point, I asked the group if anyone had ever fasted uh, or took a break from their phones, and only one in 11 of the 12 adults in the room had fasted in recent years, one other. By the end of the week, I could see the benefits in the room of people losing access to their phones. Uh, we were having real conversations. We were making in-person connections. Coffee, I think, is a good fast for me. And alcohol, both things which are easy, far too easy to become far too dependent upon. For some, watching and reading the news, watching television, if something scares you and sounds impossible to actually fast from, that is probably the thing from which you most need to fast. Find a way to fast from purchasing and owning things. Maybe allow a close friend or your spouse to choose to fast for you. Remind yourself that the only absolutely necessary thing in your life is God. Historically speaking, um, Lent became a time of fasting because it leads up to the celebration of Easter. And early Christians would take this time to prepare their hearts, to prepare themselves spiritually for the celebration of the resurrection. They would fast, yes, but also during this time they would prepare new Christians for baptism through what became the process of catechesis, or in our tradition mostly it's called a new members course. And I think this is fascinating. During Lent, anyone who had left or who had been expelled from the church because of a well-known sin, during Lent they would be invited, they would be sought out to rejoin the church and the fellowship. All of this, at its core, it's because fasting is an act of faith, an act of seeking God. Faith that God is able to restore anything you've lost. In the passage, <clears throat> beautifully in our passage, Joel writes, He will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Meaning he's able to restore your life, to redeem you back into family, to wipe your tears and to satisfy your longing. My friends, I would invite you into a life that is dependent upon Christ and nothing else this morning, which begins in contemplating loss. Maybe the Spirit of God, um, I, may the Spirit of God be what fills us. May Christ be what nourishes us day to day. May God the Father be the only thing and person upon whom we absolutely depend. Please pray with me. Father God, we are so desperately dependent on you. Lord, whether we know it or not, God, you are the true and unfailing source of joy incorruptible, incorruptible, God of pleasure incorruptible, God of anything that we actually need, anything that we deeply desire, God, it comes from you. May we learn to depend upon you. God, as we turn our eyes more to you, Lord, may the things of this earth grow dimmer. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, as we know you hear us. Amen.